Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented talk radio show and podcast. Each month, and now we've been a little more frequently than uh, monthly, um, but each broadcast, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. I'm excited today. I have a bright young panel of men that are young men who are have joined me um, to talk about um, what is going on in our country here in the United States. I know I have listeners from all over the world who who, who tune in, and I thought, um, as I have often sought to do, is to have timely topics um, on this um, show, and today's broadcast is no different. Um, I have with me four young black men um, who are from various cities throughout the United States um, to talk to us on the topic endangered black men in America. And so I have James from um, Long Island. I have Jalal from New Orleans. I have Ernest from Atlanta. And I have Anthony from New York City. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for having me. Hello. Hello. Glad to have you. And so I I know that this goes, you know, the 30 minutes that we spend, I have people write in all the time say, we needed more time, we needed more time. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking. I'm going to um, hear from you um, because I really want to know um, with everything that's going on, how you're experiencing um, um, things that uh, we're seeing on the news and otherwise. And so um, I have two that are college students. I have Ernest and Anthony that are here that are college students. And um, I want to start with them um, because I know both being in Atlanta, New York City, two places where there have been significant protests um, about um, the recent death of uh, George Floyd. And so I, I wanted to start there first to see um, Ernest and Anthony, have either of you been to been out and and either participated or 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 know people who have been out and been a part of the uh, of the protest? Um, I have I, I know people who have been out, but I myself have not protested um, personally because I feel like I've been doing this my whole life of all 22 years I've been alive the way I've been raised is self-aware of what's going on in this country and in this world and how people have been treating us and how we have to be four to two four times to two times better at everything that we want to do and things that we do in life so Mm -hmm. I feel personally that I don't have to go out in the streets and do those things because me being successful in myself is a protest in itself. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So that, that, that this was Anthony, correct? Oh, Ernest. Ernest, I'm sorry. Ernest. Okay, sorry. Ernest. I didn't recognize your voice. Okay. So what about you, Anthony? You you have uh, any experience? Um, 
Uh, actually, I have not uh, protested myself. Um, I know plenty of people who have, and I'm so proud of my uh, my brothers and sisters of all races who have participated in uh, these protests. Me personally, I haven't due to the pandemic that is going on. I do have people around me um, that could possibly be, um, you know, susceptible to uh, COVID-19. So I'm just been monitoring every day to check numbers and things like that. So where I feel safe and comfortable for my family for me to go out and protest. But it's something that I do uh, want to do at some point in the near future. Sure. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. And so, James, I know you're probably the youngest um, member of the panel today being in middle school. Um, I want to hear from you a little bit and um, just hear when you, so I know you've been watching and seeing what's happening and what's been happening on television, um, but I want to go all the way back to what was the spark. And I, and I will say unequivocally, I know that this is not just about the death of George Floyd. This is one of many um, injustices that have happened. Um, and we, we've heard year after year of, of, and month actually after month of, of um, people dying at the hands of police officers. And um, I just wanted to go all the way back to just in just recently with you, James, when you, I guess, I, I, if I had to guess, you probably heard about it first and then maybe you saw the video. Can you, can you just give us some insight that what went through your mind when you, when you saw the video um, of um, Mr. Floyd um, being restrained? What, what went through your mind when you saw that? Um, I did not like it. It seemed like police could do this to everyone. I didn't like it. And it just seems like this could happen to me at any one. It's going. Mm-hmm. And, the and what spark about you? That, mm-hmm. Go ahead. The spark that, like, really didn't got me into, like, Black Lives was Emmett Till. I saw like what happened and everything, and I did not like that one. Sure. I researched them and all of it. Sure. And did you think about when you when you saw it? Um, did it did it move you to think um, what what you might need to do? Is it was it did it hit you personally where you said here's here's how I need to behave or present myself or did you start to reflect on any of that as you, as you saw what was happening to him? Yes, I did. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what, what went through your mind when you were, when you were considering the things that either you needed to do or change, what, what was it? So education mm-hmm. and business. Yeah, so you you thought about that you needed to get your education, what, start your own business? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Jalal, I know you're in New Orleans. Tell me, what about you? Um, You know, we hear about a lot of these things um, happening, and a a lot of times people think that these are the kinds of issues that surface in the South. Um, I'm sure, you know, you are well aware of, 
of the things that have happened in New Orleans historically. What about you? When you saw the video, what, how did it make you feel? For me, um, it just evoked a feelings of confusion and um, not at how something like this could happen, but, like, where do we go? Because mm-hmm. what do you do when the system of justice is not doing its job? Mm-hmm. There is no, There is no established place for you to go. You have to either reform the system or make a new one. And I know that that's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And so when I, yeah, when I see things like this, uh, I just don't know. Um, it just makes me think about what I ha- have to do in order to get changes like that to happen. Sure, and also, sure. yeah. And also it makes me wonder about what, what happened like, in those moments. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you can change a system after something happens, and you can make rules for what happens in these types of situations. But when you're in the moment and there's a man in front of you being choked out and you, you want to help, but, like, what are you going to do? You can't assault mm-hmm. a police officer because there are three others. And even if you end up fine after that, there are going to be people around you and you don't know what you might start with, you know, all of these people around and sure. you have three officers with guns and you all get felony charges or something. Yeah. Yeah. For for trying to defend yourself in your community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is it's complicated. And um especially for bystanders, we have a lot of people, I guess, to the 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 hope that I I experience around this is that, you know, more so than ever, we have a lot of videographers around, you know, everybody seems to have a smartphone with at least a camera and a video capability. And I think to a large degree, you know, that's what has made the difference is people being brought into that being brought into their homes to say, look at what happened. Um, most of what, you know, historically changed uh, movements had to do with people seeing the images. And unfortunately, people had to see what we knew was happening in our communities. We knew what was happening all along. But in the 1960s, the, the tenor changed around the world when they saw men and women having hoses turned on them and dogs being loose on them. That changed the tenor of the way people received United States policy regarding its citizens. And so I think the, the really graphic nature of what happened um, with, in this case, uh, Mr. Floyd may make a huge difference. Uh, I, I do want to stay on this for a moment about how it impacted you personally. So I know Ernest and Anthony, both of you are of age to drive. You're young men. And, and I, I want to know whether or not you, you've reflected on the times that you have been in cars 
and see the police in your rearview mirror. I don't know about you, but um, I have to admit that often, whether or not I am driving fast, I have a tendency to drive fast sometimes, but even when I'm not driving fast and I see police cars, I, I experience even the slightest of anxiety every single time I see a police car because I don't know whether or not this is the time that I'm going to be pulled over. And I've been pulled over many times. I haven't had any negative um, experiences, but I have, I have experienced that anxiety and as much as I don't want to, and as much as I try not to think about what might happen if I get pulled over, it happens. So I just want to hear from you a little bit about, you know, you're driving, you, you, you're going out, and sometimes you're out with your friends. Um, what, are your, what are your feelings? Have you thought about when you're in those cars and if you've ever been pulled over, share with us some of your experiences and how you feel when you when you're in your your cars going from one place to another. For me in Atlanta, and specifically being in a predominantly uh, white area of Gwinnett, um, whenever whenever I'm in a car with anybody um, alone or with my girlfriend, my mom, or my friends, and I see police. I, I kind of just, it, it kind of, I freeze, I can't lie, and I get numb because I never know when, I never know what they could do, you know, because they have the power and my life is in jeopardy because it's in their hands and they can do whatever they want at any moment. And that's just my thought process. I've had incidents where a lady and her husband thought me and my friend kidnapped her daughter because she typed in the wrong phone number on a tracking app and followed us for a couple miles and called the police on us, and we pulled into a gas station going to get candy, have, a, like, a normal Saturday, and police show up and search in this car, and we don't even know what we did wrong. We're just having a regular Saturday like everybody else, but, again, get victimized because of who we are. And we don't have any say. It's just everyday life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for myself, um, I personally don't drive, but I've had um, um, some interesting encounters uh, with police officers growing up. I mean, I've been in cars with friends uh, when we've gotten pulled over. And, you know, it's just you get that feeling, that tense feeling in your stomach. Your stomach drops and you're like, you know, what, what could possibly happen? You, you go through all the things that, you know, your parents teach you, you know, um, you know, don't talk back, don't be aggressive, you know, don't make any sudden movements. And, you know, you become conscious of these things. It becomes second nature. Um, when you're not in a vehicle, when you're walking, you know, just down the street or if it's late night and you do see police officers going by, you know, you're, you're conscious about, you know, did I leave the house wearing something that they might feel is, you know, thug attire? Am I, am I wearing a do-rag for my hair? You know, uh, am I wearing a hoodie? It, it's just certain things that for a normal person would just be a regular outfit. But for black people, this is something that we have to be con- conscious of, you know. Um, and it, it doesn't matter how old you are either. Um, I've had an experience with uh, one of my best friends. 
we were just sitting outside uh, of the CVS waiting for um, one of my uh, white friends actually uh, to come in to come outside from the CVS. And um, while we were waiting for him, uh, a police car drove into the parking lot coming by and slowed down and stared at us. And then when they saw uh, my friend who was inside the CVS come out, they actually rolled up their windows and then sped off. So it was clear that there was already some type of tension. I had to be about 13, 14 years old. So when when do I become a threat? You know, what age do I become a threat? Um, we weren't bothering anybody. No one was outside. And so you have these interactions. And it doesn't really, it's not always just police. It's, a, it's an issue of police in America, yes, but it's a culture that we still have that's instilled in America. You know, I, I get followed all the time in, in stores. And, you know, you try not to act like, it's there, that it's prevalent, but, you know, you do notice, um, and it, it's just sad that, you know, it is 2020, and we have to still to still do these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very telling. For those of you who have just joined us, you've uh, reached the Perkins platform. We have four young black men who are talking about their experiences uh, in America um, as black men um, developing and um, if any of you have any questions you'd like to ask this panel, please feel free to call in 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. I want to shift back um, down, on the, down on the lower end of the age range. And thanks uh, to both of you for sharing your stories. Um, James, I know, uh, I know your father and I know that um, I'm sure that he's had he's had the talk with you about um, how to behave um, when you are uh, in places um, without his or or your mother's supervision. Um, I, tell us a little bit about what you walked away with when you had when you when when you learned about how you needed to behave as um, a young black male. Um, in public spaces. Tell us just a couple of things you know that you have to do or who you have to be. Um, I have to be respectful. I have to... Um, I have to listen. I have to do a lot of things. I have to definitely Okay. Okay. And and so Jalal, let's move to you. What about you? What when you had that that conversation and someone may have talked to you about your behavior, what who you needed to be? What tell us some of the things that you were told. Um yeah. Uh I never really had the conversation specifically. It's mm-hmm. just kind of one of the things that you, I came into as I grew up, you know, it's just like in school, you see it on TV. And, you know, of course, like I have these conversations with my mother, but she never gave me like a, this is what you have to do. This is just, mm. a, a, yeah, I kind of grew up with that just being something that like you learn. Okay. So tell me, so tell me from your observations, tell me what you or who you feel you had to be. You talked about in school. I think it's a good kind of segue into talking about school, but you, you made observations and, and, and figured out that you needed to 
behave a certain way, maybe talk a certain way, but what, what did you walk away with then? Yeah, I just, I learned that just because of my race, I can be seen as naturally aggressive or just offensive to some people. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And just by doing normal things, if I'm doing anything that's even slightly, not even slightly uh, incriminating in any way, I can possibly have uh, an interaction with the law for something mm-hmm. that I'm not even responsible for. Mm-hmm. I once had mm-hmm. an experience where I was trying to find my way around a park. We have a city park. It's pretty big. And I was trying to meet up with my, uh, with a volunteer group uh, that I, with my after school program, right? I was trying to meet up with them. We were going to help out at the park. And there was a woman that I saw near the dog park. And I asked her if I could see her phone for the maps. And she was just like, she was clearly very spooked and not in the, like, ooh, you know, like, she wasn't, like, overt because a lot of it is covert. But you could tell just from her stance, whenever I moved at all, she, like, did a little shuffle with her feet, you know, and was just, like, looking deep at me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was very uncomfortable for me because I didn't feel like I should make somebody else that uncomfortable. It's sure. a very normal human interaction. Sure, sure. How does that make you feel? And I guess any of you that are are on today, um, I'd love to hear you tell me how, just how does it make you feel to know that if that you have to be guarded about how you present yourself, you have to think carefully about not presenting as aggressive or not presenting as, you know, a person who might rob someone else. Um, How does it make you feel though? Um, In the middle of, I mean, just everything you think about that's happening right now and knowing that at any time this could be you, what do you walk around feeling? Um, I, that, uh, I, I don't, I walk around, um, I kind of just, I don't know. I've been living with this for so long. It's kind of, like you said, it's second nature almost. I just don't know if there is an, I was talking to my friends about this a couple of days ago. There's, we talked about this. There's no other way of living for us Mm -hmm. but this. We have mm-hmm. we have to live in, in a constant state of caution mm. and 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 almost of a fear state. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I would agree. I, I would say that uh, we as Black people um, we're 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 desensitized to it almost. We have a form of trauma that um, ha- that's been instilled in us that we have to operate this way, and um, it, you know. It, it really is, you know, triggering and, and, and traumatizing, seeing the video, seeing, you know, the climate that we're in currently and what's going on. 
you know, I, me, myself, honestly, I, I actually was off social media, you know, in the first few days because that's all you saw. And then it was just recurring. And, you know, it, it's very, uh, it, it's, it hurts a lot to see, you know, that, that, that could be you, you know, we have so many names and so many hashtags. You can insert yourself into that situation. You could be that person, you know, it doesn't matter what uh, uh, you do. And in and, and this George Floyd situation, you know, um, and, and there's been plenty of instances where people will say, oh, oh, but he robbed somebody or he did this, or he looked like he had a toy gun or he, he was threatening someone, you know, in, in his situation, he wasn't resisting. He wasn't doing anything. You know, you can be innocent. You could just be a black man walking, and that's that's a crime in itself nowadays. And it has always been that way since we've been in America. And what I what I value most and what I love most about what's going on in this movement is that it's it's not just an American thing now. It's global, you know. Um, it, it, it shows that Black Lives Matter truly everywhere, you know, whether you are dealing with modern-day slavery in Libya or if you are a black refugee in uh, European countries, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you are. As long as you are black, you know, we, we recognize that you're black, that your life matters and, and that the rest of the world needs to see that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. You know, one, one thing that just resonated with me that as I was hearing, because I'm going to tell you, I, I had the, the conversation, the talk, and the talk that I had, I grew up in um, uh, rural Alabama, and um, the talk that I had, and I still remember my father saying many things over many years, but that um, he would say frequent and often, um, you are not them. And what he would go on to explain is that I cannot, he said, I'm not going to be able to get you out of trouble. If something happens, they are not going to treat you the way they treat the other kids. And from from a very, very early age. And so what I kind of internalized was something that I heard here today was that my existence was what was not normal. And, and I internalized that so much to, to the extent that it just became part of my language. And I just want to, I want to point out that a couple of times during this conversation that I heard you say, a couple of you say things like um, what normal people do and then what black people do or what normal people experience. And then what black people experience is that that in itself is a kind of psychological impact of trauma that you have internalized this. So, you know, and at very young ages, you have internalized this so that your existence even as much as and as aware and woke as all of you appear to be, is that you have internalized that um, your your behavior is in some way not a part of the normal scheme. And so I just want to challenge you to reflect and adopt and, and think about the language that we use around 
who we are and how we um, how we view ourselves, um, and that you know normal is not what it's about. It's about you have an experience as a as a black man, as a young black man, and that by itself is a valid experience. And and so you you going to a park looking for and it, and it's it's it hurts me and saddens me. Um, and then makes me angry that you going as a volunteer to try to help the community are met with um, people who question your motive and you're, you're trying to do the right thing. So the people that are not normal or not uh, um, adequate are those who at first thought would just look at you and, and reach the conclusion that you are somehow unworthy and, and not worthwhile. That's what I'm, I want you to fight against that, that the internalization of that, the internalization of I'm, this is not normal. I'm not, my behavior, my existence is not normal. Um, what is clear is that it's not right. Um, and so I um I can't make a promise um and I think it would be it would it would be foolhardy to make a promise that this is going to change um certainly in our lifetimes. Um I think we are at the beginning of something that's going to be different. Um and we have to keep up the fight. Um we've been on this this kind of roller coaster for many years. I think this feels different. I've heard a lot of people say that it feels different. So I want all of you to feel encouraged that we can make it different this time. This will be um, a turning point for future generations. Um, I have often reflected that um, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, this hour, my generation as adults have failed your generation as young people. And and so then this situation came up, and I I hope that this will be the redemption song for this generation, is that this puts us on the right path of making sure that you don't you the future isn't kind of laden with more discrimination, more unfair treatment, and um, and so um, for what it's worth. Um, make sure that all of you understand that this this pressure, this oppression takes a toll on you as a black man. And so what you have to do is you have to consciously and deliberately take care of yourselves. And so what I try to do is I try, even in those moments when I'm driving and I feel that police officer um, is going to stop me, this may be the time. I practice uh, self-awareness and and try to um, do things like breathe, take deep breaths to make myself calm down. Um, and so I don't have anxiety attacks or anything like that, but I do feel anxiety as a lot of people, and even as you have described, and rightfully so. But you have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure that you are doing the right kinds of things in terms of looking after your mental health. Um, in the black community, we don't talk about that very much. But as black men, 
you're you will have to pay attention to um, the stress that comes from being not just on the street. I think there are boardrooms and corporate offices and businesses waiting on all of you that are on this call today. And so, but there are going to be stresses that come up that other groups don't have to endure. And so as a black man, you're going to have to take care of yourself. And so focus on your mental health, the mental health of your families, and let people understand that you can't hold this in because it's not, it's not in your interest. Um, we cut years off of our lives by holding in that stress. So um, I appreciate all of you for being on this call today. And um, I'm wishing you all the best. Um, as I promised, it would be a quick 30 minutes. We're already out of time. But I just want to say um, um, to the people who are listening um, that we have educators listening in. We have people who are in positions from a public policy standpoint. I want you to hear the things that we are doing in this country have on these young black men. And ask yourselves, what can I do to make their experience better? And um, that's our challenge as adults of all races. That's our challenge. These young black men have already in just short years of their lives, all, all under 25 years old, have had to endure discrimination and injustice already. And so we need to turn that around. And, and so um, thank you guys for being on. And uh, as I said, I wish you all well. For those of you who are regular listeners, um, next Wednesday, this, well, I should say this upcoming Wednesday, um, I have a special guest, Mr. Archie Tyson, who is the head of school at the Baltimore Collegiate School for Boys, um, a school that is African-American boys school, uh, public school in Baltimore that we're going to have him on. And we're going to hear a little bit about what people are doing in education to make a difference. And um, the youngest of them here talked about education. So, James, you're right on the money. Education is the key, but not just for you. It's not just about you on this call getting uh, education. Um, it's about all of us educating ourselves about what we can do um, to make a difference. Um, and so thank you again. Um, all of you stay safe, stay COVID-free. And for those of you regular listeners, until next time, go well, stay well. <laughs>